Well, hello, everybody. My name is Michael Rosso. This is the Film Photography Podcast, the podcast for people who love to shoot traditional film. My name is Michael Rosso, and here in the studio today, to my left, we have a huge, big, round table. Square, actually. But we have Mr. Mark O'Brien. Hi there. Uh, Mr. Joseph Brunges. Hello again. Hello, Joseph. It's been a few years. It is, yeah. It's been a while. Uh, Leslie Lazenby. Hi, everyone. Yay. Yay. Mr. Matt Mirage. <laughs> hey, how's it going, guys? And today we're going to be talking about all things film, and I think we'll, we'll kind of grease the wheels by reading a letter. This is our friend we met in San Clemente, mm-hmm. Bert Liang. Oh, Bert, yeah. Bert says, hey, FPP gang, just a quick shout out and thanks to Mike and Matt for helping me out with a large format question about loops to view the ground glass. I took Matt's advice and was able to find a used, uh, used Horseman 8X loop for 68 bucks to replace my Carson loop negative viewer. The difference in clarity and detail makes me think I've been letting my myopia and presbyopia get the better of me. Now seeing sharp negatives from my Ektar 100 4x5 shots, film courtesy of Super Duper FPP store. As much as I've tried to get uh, Ann Arbor, couldn't swing it this time, but I'll catch you on the next meetup. Hope to get a chance to grab a meal from Zingerman's and some deep fried French toast from <laughs> Angelo's. Thanks again for being such a great resource, and please keep up the great shoes. Appreciatively, Bert. Well, it's nice to hear from Bert. Oh, it was great, great guy. From, yeah, I've heard from a lot of folks from California. Yeah, a lot really. of folks calling in Midwest, getting oh, some, getting some gear. That's beautiful. Including thing. Phil from the Dark Room. Awesome. Yeah. Big shout out to Phil and Keith and the folks at thedarkroom.com. Always doing a great job. Let's uh, read another letter. I'll, Matt, you don't mind reading, right? No, sorry. This is from Mark and and uh, Joseph. I don't know if you know on our website, if you write in, it says, how to pronounce your name? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Tomek Ziak. Tomek? Matt knows everybody. <laughs> hey, FPP crew. Just wanted to say hi. I'm a 22-year-old photo dabbler. I first got interested in film mid-2014 when I decided I wanted a rangefinder. At that time, my brother who got me into photography owned a Holga, Yashica Mat 124, and a Hasselblad 500CM. He actually contacted you last year while we were on our trip around Europe. We listened to your podcast nightly after a long day of cycling. While on that trip, I happened to score a banner, which ended up not working, and a Fujika GER rangefinder for a combined 16 bucks. Since then, I've gotten more interested in film and acquired several more cameras, including a Hasselblad 500C, which I got a great deal on, a Yashica A, Pentax K1000. I have a digital camera which lays around for video purposes, but I love getting to shoot film. Cheers all. Keep up the great shoes. Just a shout out. Great. What shoe? Thank you. On Flickr, for folks who still use Flickr.com, we have a uh, FPP film photography podcast group. And when folks write in, uh, they do give us their Flickr name. And uh, the Tomex Flickr uh, name is T Z I A C H. So thanks for the letter. Yeah, thank you. Tom. Uh, folks could write us at podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Please do, you know, send us a, let us know what you're up to, what you're yeah. doing. This gent. Jose J. Soto. Oh, Jose. I think Jose was also in San Clemente, right? Yeah, he sure was. And he sends a very short letter that I blew up. (laughs) (laughs) As a matter of fact, it's it's blown up so well, the folks on the other side of the table could read it. So what does Jose say? He says, listening to the new podcast, tomorrow I'll be souping up more chrome film with the Unicolor Rapid E6 kit. Yes. Now, thank you, Jose. It's great hearing from you. Now I, you know, for folks who listen regularly, I have to tell you I am not per- I am not caffeinated right now, so I'm not as excited as I could be. <laughs> but when I tell you, folks listening and folks here, the FPP is responsible for getting 
hundreds of people souping their co- own color film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. We have been blowing through Unicolor C41 kits and Unicolor E6 color slide kits. Nice. And we started about a year ago. We said, hey, next year, 2015, which is now, we're going to really talk up color slide film because that was like the least favorite film that people would shoot. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, amongst our very own group, like the Jersey guys, Dane and Mark, when they first got into film photography, they really didn't know what it was. And they would just shoot it and send it in for C41 processing. Yeah. Uh-huh. They had no clue the, the magic of a color positive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the FPP online store, we started selling the C41 kit. I think, Leslie, you mentioned, you, you may have said, you know there's an E6 kit. Yes. And I said, no, I did not know there's an E6 kit. All from kit. our same wonderful source. And, oh, E6, it's Unicolor. I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. So I sent an email. Lo and behold, there's an E6 kit available. And because I'm, I'm also a consumer and I like buying things that are not super expensive, I made sure that the kits in the FPP store are lower than anyone else on the planet. Always good. So we're, for people who know that we exist, because we're kind of underground, we're selling a boatload of kits. And I guess if people Google searching, the Google, the kits will find that we have the lowest price. Nice. But FPPers across the board have really just been, hey, I'm going to process my own color slide film. And now, with Retrochrome, it's not an issue, I is know. it? I know. Gosh, I, I finally got to shoot a roll, and I think I need to be buying more yeah. because uh-huh. um, for the work I do, I needed something faster than yeah. under speed, and I think that's going to fit the bill. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what your, your – uh, per- I mean, everyone has a personal taste. You know, Provia, mm-hmm. uh, Velvia, uh, expired Ektachrome, mm-hmm. uh, Retrochrome, FPP's in-house film is expired – Mm-hmm. Uh, government supplied, manufactured for government Kodak Ektachrome. Mm-hmm. It has a very unique look, so I'm very curious if it, you know if you mm-hmm. like it or not. Jose, that, that's what he's shooting a lot of mm-hmm. and using the E6 kits for. So he's, yeah. he's always sharing stuff with me. He's like, "Hey, got this on Retrochrome. Check this out. This is 320. It's amazing shots. So, yeah, you know, he's he's doing really good work with it. So. Retrochrome is at least half the price of <sighs> oh yeah Fuji Chrome easily of new Fuji Chrome. And if you're mm. puttering around in your home dark room and you're buying a cheap kit and you are, you know, using the Dalzell style of squeezing 35 rolls. Oh. <laughs> I'm not sure you can really do that you with these six. Guinea, so p- like guinea pig rolls. Z41, but. Yeah. Well, Mark is exper- Mark Dalzell is now experimenting with his E6. Okay. And uh, by the end of the year, we'll have a report from him of like, oh, how many rolls can I squeeze out of this? <laughs> so with C41 color print film, I mean, if you're squeezing 35 rolls out, if you're buying, <laughs> I like the use of, if you're yeah. buying expired <laughs> Ektachrome on eBay or buying our FPP Retrochrome, I mean, now everything is becoming really affordable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's much much cheaper. It's, it's there's no excuse not to do it. Like, oh, I don't have the money. Well, the other thing, too, if you're buying expired chrome films online, you really have no idea, A, how they were stored most of the time or the, their whole process that they've been through before you get them. Whereas the stuff you got, really, you could say is as fresh as can be. And we test. And you mm-hmm. test. And yeah. we do thorough yeah. tests test, on yes. all of our film. I guess a tip of the day would be, and this tip really applies to whether you're buying gear or whether you're buying film, the most exciting eBay auctions of, of film that I buy are when I... I buy film from a professional who's had them in on in the freeze right. or in the fridge since purchase. Mm-hmm. And I've always had a beautiful experience with shooting that film. When you get the burnt out film, yeah. <laughs> you know, the uh the boot of the car or the glove box of the car or just, you know, the basement, the attic. 
Uh, I mean, those could be kind of fun, but they do have that burnt kind of. You, you never want to use them for something you only have one shot at. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Don't take them on a vacation. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Jose, for writing in, letting us know that you're using the kits. I'm thrilled, very excited as, as more and more folks sort of know that these kits exist. So when we come back, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Joseph, telling us what he's been up to since your last trip here, mm-hmm. about all the new and exciting stuff that you've been working on. We'll be right back. Enjoy your color slides as never before with new Perutz color film. Brilliant natural colors, wide exposure latitude. Yes, now with new exclusive plastic mounts for better slide projection. Perutz, now processed faster than any other film. Perutz. Hey, we're back. I think that was the funniest part about my previous visit. Oh, was the breaks? Was the realization of the, uh, hey, we're back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Also, I've forgotten. Even now, I've forgotten. You, you, you really listen to the shows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did, uh, and I actually started compiling a list of questions that would be funny, like a scavenger hunt uh, for for that break you have during the summer. Oh. And I just kind of had to put it down because of other things. But there, there are a number of really interesting questions for people to try to figure out. Like, when's the first time that you guys said "yo" after the email address? filmphotographyproject.com yo and things like, like things like that they were just totally random and even the what show thing happened really early right like i think john said it really early in, in one of the first episodes what show it was just a little mini project that i was on one because <laughs> what i would do is you know when i'm working in my dark room i like put the put them on or, yeah yeah or i was I, I used to drive a lot and so i would put it on when i drove you just start memorizing things i like the old Photo ads. They're hilarious. Yes. Yeah. Those are great. Yeah. Searching for the right word? No. Searching for gift ideas. Any suggestions? Sure have. An ANSCO Cadet camera outfit with everything needed for taking pictures. The ANSCO Cadet is always ready when you are. No focusing, no dials, no nonsense. What a wonderful idea. Here are two more. The new Ansco Cadet Reflex with a photo size viewfinder that makes fine pictures easy to get. And the Ansco Lancer, the camera that puts precision focusing into simple words. Just move this red dot for distant scenes, medium shots, or close-ups. Made your choice? Uh-huh. All of them. These are perfect answers to so many gift problems. When it's time to give, give the fun of an Ansco camera outfit. 1075-1595-1995. If it's from Ansco, you know it's A+. Hey, we're back. Hey, uh, we're here with uh, Mr. Joseph Brunges. And Joseph, and tell me, do people call you Joseph? What do people call you? Um, my nickname is Joby, J-O-B-Y, okay. so you're welcome to call me that. Um, I like that. Yeah. Hey, Joby. People have trouble I mean, remember, remembering Joseph, but Joby seems to be a very catchy name that people right. uh, catch on to. My initials are J-O-B. I'm actually an O'Brien. My, my mother was an O'Brien. Oh, really? So uh, it's Joseph O'Brien Brunges, and my parents put a Y on it and made it my, my nickname. So How joking. about that, yeah. Mark O'Brien? Yeah, I, well, you know, <laughs> my name should be Dupre, but that's, a different, that's another story. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you were last at the FPP um, 2013 or 2012? 13, I think. 2013. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think it was 2013. Time's, yes. time's yeah. been flying. Yeah, it has. Uh, Joby came down. He uh, hopped in his uh, hopped in his rig. Yeah, certainly is a rig. Yeah, my first rig uh, yeah, with rig. his uh, large format tin type gear, mm-hmm. and he uh, headed down the road 
to FPP, and you did a demonstration of tintypes, and then we had you on the show. Yep. What show? Yep. And for those listening who don't recall or don't have any good a good memory <laughs> terms, so you take the plate, <laughs> you take a tin plate, yeah, I do, and you coat chemistry on it. Yes. And then I'm actually moving my hands like a good Italian American. Uh-huh. You put chemistry on it. Not with the brush, though. No, not with the brush. You, and then you take that plate and you put it in the back of your camera. Well, um, you start by pouring on a, a chemical called collodion, and collodion's made up of a number of different things. It's got ether in it, which is probably the most exciting <laughs> part of the process. Um, ether and then some bromides and iodides and things. And, and collodion acts like a liquid plastic, so you pour it on the plate. And before it dries, you put it in a uh, light-tight tank of silver nitrate. And when the silver nitrate combines with those bromides and iodides, it becomes light-sensitive. It takes three or four minutes or so in the silver. And then, then after that, you put it in a, uh, a holder, plate holder, and then you can put it in the back of the camera and take the picture. When you put that plate in the back of your camera, are you putting it in a holder? Yes, mm-hmm. it has a, a plate holder. And by the time that chemistry process, what you just mentioned... Uh, everything's sort of like it's not like a dripping mess no it's wet but it's not dripping i what i ended up doing is when i take it out of the silver i I, you wipe the back off so that silver nitrate is really you know it really eats things so between every shot you wipe everything out you try to clean everything out the front the front of the plate will be wet it has to be wet through the whole process in order to remain light sensitive so my particular um plate holder is a chamonix holder so it has a, a shelf so it just sits on a little shelf, so there's usually a black line around the edges. Put it in the back. What I end up doing is the, the whole process has to be done in about five to eight minutes for, in order for the plate to remain wet. So I usually compose a shot ahead of time and then make the plate right. and then come back and take the picture. And that's a little weird for people getting portraits because you kind of put them in a position and then you have to leave them there for five minutes. And right, then. right. But it, it seems to work. In fact, the time I came, I've only had – I've been using a – Lightning McQueen Walmart children's tent as my darkroom. No kidding. <laughs> and I thought like, the name Lightning McQueen was kind of ironic because it's such a slow process. But it's it was red, and so I thought you know any light coming if any light got in it would be red, you know, it, and it wouldn't damage the plate. But my tent poles have only broken two times, and it was the time I came to visit you guys, and then the time oh. I was shooting the fireman. So the, the the weakest part of that of my rig are tent poles, probably for any tent, you know, the, that elastic and the tent poles breaks or. So I, I now have about like three or four versions of that tent with extra right. poles and everything, and I drag it all around. I have so many questions for this gentleman. Well, first, is are you on like a terrorist list because of the chemistry you buy? Well, <laughs> well I, I've been shooting these firemen. I went, when I went to the firehouse, I said, well, if you see a guy in a blue truck on the side of the road with his head in a tent, you know, I'm not a meth dealer. <laughs> <laughs> and they both looked at each other like, You're, we're going to get some calls. <laughs> you know, I do look like a laboratory experiment because I'm wearing gloves. And wearing safety glasses and wearing an apron. The the collodion isn't necessarily damaging to your skin, but the silver nitrate can mm. when it comes in contact with skin it turns brown. So if you were to get it in your eyes you would probably go blind. Yeah. Luckily I don't use potassium cyanide as a fixer, but a lot of people do. That's I think it's only a three or four percent solution, but still if you were to get that in your hands, you know, like cuts on your hands, that would be poisonous. But I use uh, Ilford Rapid Fixer in a concentrated form, so I don't have to worry about that. So really, the most damaging, the two chemicals I have to worry about most are the ether at the beginning, which is explosive and can knock you out, and then the the silver nitrate being, you know, staining. Okay. But you look at John Coffer's hands, (laughs) you know, people... a lot of people do this without even wearing gloves and stuff, but I, I can't do that. Gotcha. Who is John Coffer? John Coffer is probably the, what would you call him, the grandfather the, He's, of modern. He kind of brought it back into vogue. Yeah. Uh, he started, what, late 70s? I think so, yeah. He's been, he's been really, really at it for a long time. Most of the 
big contemporary folks that are teaching workshops are students of students of students of his. There are some other people that kind of, you know, that wrote some books on it, but he's really the guy that um, has kind of kept it going and reinvented it through, you know, brought it through the 20th, 20th and now into the 21st century. And he's pretty super, he's old school. Like, yeah. he'll, you can send him an email, but he won't get back to you for maybe maybe a month or no, so. No, well, he doesn't even respond to email. You have to write him letters. And like, oh, like he has he has a website with the very basic website that has um, you can order a few things from him. One is his book, and his book is basically just like all the formulas, all the designs, all everything. And I highly recommend it. And and lately he's added some DVDs of that, so you can actually watch him make plates, watch him varnish, watch him do all these things. And I found that amazingly beneficial to my work because uh, uh, getting to watch somebody like that who can do it stone cold. You know, without any, you know, temperature and wind and humidity, he just like, oh, this is how you do it. And he would do it all out in the open so you could see. And he, he shoots 20 by 24 plates. Wow. Which, right, right, I, right. you know, that's, I have a hard time, hard enough time doing 8 by 10 plates cleanly. So backing up is for folks at home to kind of get a mental picture of this, you're, you're, you're dealing, you're shooting with a standard large format camera, mm-hmm. in your case an 8 by 10 camera. Yep, or 4 by 5. Or four by five. Yeah. It's called tin type or uh, it's wet plate collodion. Wet plate collodion. Yeah. So tin I can shoot type. The tin you're actually shooting on. Do you walk into Walmart? Where yeah. do you get the, the the plates, so to speak? Modern tin types. Most people use aluminum, and it's basically just trophy aluminum that's been kind of coerced into a, the photographic process. It comes black enameled. It has a nice piece of plastic over it, so it's perfectly clean. It, it really shortcuts the process a lot because the the traditional tin types that in john coffer like you said being old school he does that he takes you take it's a piece of iron that's been coated in tin and then it's been japan and japan mm-hmm. means you put it you put black asphalt and everclear on it and bake it in an oven for a while that's called the, japan japaning yeah oh I, I, it's, well, not, it's not a racist term no, no, no it's, and it's a very old term and I, when i yes. in my mind went japaning the first to be a big gong no. <laughs> <laughs> Japan, <laughs> Japan. <laughs> now, don't tell me that you go to B and H to get your your plates. No, no, um, <laughs> no. no I, any trophy store? Will. Yeah, you oh. can. Yeah, you can. You can do that through that. Um, I've gotten some through Lund Photographics and where are they New Hampshire or Maine or something. Yeah, they, New England. Yeah, yeah, they they've done great work for me because I use it. The chamois. I found out very quickly that the chamois holder is not exactly eight by 10. It's like seven and 15 sixteenths and oh. <laughs> by 10. And so I had, I had this whole pile of plates that didn't even oh. fit in my holder, but it, it got sorted out. It's like buying frames at Ikea. They're not oh, no. quite oh, yes. 16 by 20. And, oh, yeah. and for someone doing this, these do not go into a standard film holder. No, correct. It's no. a correct. plate holder. No, it's a plate holder and it'll hold either glass or, or aluminum. And people are also doing the same thing using Holgas now as wet plate. No way. Yes. 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 They're tiny little uh, images, but they they work. Because the back of the camera comes off, a Holga, and there's a special adapter to put. No, you just press it in. People are just pressing it. Because it's wet, it'll stick. Yeah, there's that little plastic frame. Anybody that that wants to try this, I have got boxes and boxes and boxes of two and a quarter glass. Oh, nice. that's right. You can shoot on glass as well. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which makes uh, a positive or a negative? It's, it's a positive as long as there's a black background. Mm, later on. Uh, now, so they'll have to pay shipping because that stuff is heavy. Or you yeah. can shoot but, on glass and then you can scan it to, or print it. Mm-hmm. Wow. But well, I'm fascinated all over again. Yeah, you could, make a, you could make a negative out of it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's nice because these are pre-cut, you know, these little tuna And you can, people are also doing it, you know, with the Polaroid pack film holders. Mm-hmm. Yes. They, yep. they can put a piece of a piece of tintype material in there, and, in there it just right. up, and they just yep. put in their Polaroid and take a shot. 
Mm-hmm. Have you heard of this too? I have not heard of that. Really. Yeah. Seems like something that would interest you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thinking about it. So if you had a Polaroid, you know, obviously you need a 195 where you can really control the the, the exposure very well because it's a very slow medium. Yeah. Well, but couldn't you just a pinhole Polaroid. multiple expose it? Oh, you could do it that I way mean, that's too. I mean, so that's yeah. a little shake thing, but that's well, that might be uh, avant garde. Could be, there you go. <laughs> now, have you shot mm-hmm. on glass as well? Yes. Yes, I have. It's a it's a little bit more time consuming because you have to clean both sides of the glass, and a lot of times people sub the plates, which means you take albumin and you put it around the edges to keep the emulsion from sliding off. Mm-hmm. the The company I've been buying glass from uh, seems to be cutting, rounding out the edges so well that it's not falling off my plates. So I, I've been kind of skipping a step and not doing that. Um, but the, the cleaning of the plates is the most tedious part. Mm-hmm. I mean, the glass is um, you know making sure it's perfectly wow. clean. Of course, it's a you know because it's that old school thing, if you get a, a little bit of dust here and there, it's not going right. to really screw things up. Really, you want them really clean when you're making negatives. Because if, if you weren't going to print on paper later, then that's a lot of spotting after the fact. Uh, for folks listening, I'm guessing if you use your Google, <laughs> you could Google search Holga tintypes. Yes, you could. And or Holga probably, wet plate. And it'll probably come up with Ian Reuter's video. The Google. Okay. Uh, he did a video of, of shooting tintypes that way. It seems like a great begin. Like if you want to get your your dip your toe in the water, so to speak. It's you know it's a small. Get your fingers wet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like. And a- the, the smaller the plate, the easier it is to develop and process and and all that pouring. The bigger the plate gets, the more right. complicated it gets. Yeah. Have you experienced? Not that we'll, we're not going to dwell on this, but any like folks where you're in a group doing wet plate and have you experienced any mishaps or? Well, or the, yourself. I took I, I I took a class in 2012. That's where I learned at the Center for Alternative Photography in New York City. This was back when I lived in Connecticut. And it was with Joni Sternbach. And the class was great, and Joni was amazing. One of the guys in my class, uh, when I, I made a glass plate, um, amber type, and he after you process it, you put it in water for a while to clean the fixer off. And he set his glass, he didn't notice my glass plate in the water, and he set his directly on top of mine. And of course, the you know glass on glass with water just mm. just it was mm-hmm. stuck, and so he pulls it off by going and just you know scrape the whole emulsion almost off my plate. Right. And in that kind of workshop scenario, you don't have the time to go back and try to redo. And then someone else scrap. It was it was like my class was trying to sabotage the stuff I was doing, but it ended up you know it just gave everything character. In the end, I was just upset because it was the first time and I wanted everything to be perfect. And it's fun teaching the process because you get to see how people deal with pouring. You know, yeah. It seems like it would be a simple thing to pour this syrupy like stuff onto a plate and roll it around and pour it off, but it's it's everyone gets so nervous about it that it's it's fun it's fun to watch. Haven't seen any real major mishaps. I've seen someone make a glass plate and then it not fit in the holder. That 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 was that was traumatic because they tried to put it in there and they pushed too hard and it goes and it cracked. And then they had to go you know they, and cleaning like I said cleaning the glass plate involves cleaning it and then letting it dry. So this person had been waiting maybe 30 minutes to do this and then it turned out that the plate didn't fit in the holder and they had to do it all over again. Now, do you avoid that by uh taking your glass or your uh tin and putting it in the holder it? first? Yes. Yeah, cuz I had some um some aluminum like I said I had some aluminum that didn't fit either. Ah. And 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 that the first time that happened I got bummed. Oh, you you coated it already? Yeah, I coated it already. I actually, and I had some aluminum one time that was, that got bent. I had put it somewhere, and it got got a curve to it. And all of a sudden, I I couldn't develop a plate without mistakes. And I was like, "Why is this? Why is this?" And then I hold up the plate and realize that they're all kind of bowed right. out to one side. And so I, I was always 
screwing up one corner of the plate. So I just had to kind of, I use those as, you know, like test strips when I'm doing other things. So I've, I've saved the material and I'm using it, but I, I know full well that I'm never going to get a good plate out of it. Right. So you do tin types, you've done some uh, glass plates, and lately uh, you've, been what's, you've been experimenting and moving into what's called tin type prints, right. meaning you're not coding on the spot. You're shooting in a traditional camera, and then you're doing your tin type in the darkroom. Yeah. What is that process exactly? Most people who shoot wet plate like to embrace the idea that there's just some subject matter you're never going to get. Right. You know, I mean, exposure times are very slow. The ISO of general tintypes is like 1 or 0.5 or something. They're very, very slow. So the idea of being able to shoot motion, being able to shoot from, like, say, a boat or, you know, being able to do things that – or being able to take your gear up to the top of a mountain, let's say, and do landscapes and things. Those things have all just been kind of decided – you know, I just can't do that. I'm all for pushing the boundaries on things. So one of the other classes they had at the Center for Alternative Photography was tintype printing. They called it tintype printing. And basically you brought positives in, either black and white positives or, or color positives, and you put it in, in a larger, and then you can project onto a tintype. And what that does is that opens up, you know, subject matter to basically anything. You can have normal shutter speeds, and you can have depth of field, which is also a major disadvantage when shooting wet plate directly from a camera because you, you always have to shoot with the lens wide open just to get an exposure. So all of a sudden, that I didn't end up taking the class because I had, I had the idea in my mind. I thought, I'm going to experiment with this and see if I can do it without taking the class. And I ended up, basically, I just needed to kind of set the ground rules for what the exposure time lengths were going to be. And once I got that, I just kind of ran with it. And then you guys had a show on DR5. I'd forgotten about DR5, and that reminded me again. Well, I wonder what black and white positives are going to look like. Wow. Because color positives, when you shoot on slide film, you know, slide film has a narrow tonal, a narrow dynamic range, and um, usually a fairly good amount of contrast. And for plates, that's not so easy to print on. Uh, you guys re mentioned DR5, and so I got interested again and started talking to uh, Dave Wood. Started talking to Dave about what. I told him what what I wanted to do with it, and he recommended a couple films. One was um, T Max 100, mm -hmm. and the other was this uh, Rolly film called RPX 25, and that really appealed to me because uh, having that really thin, really small, fine grain film allowed me to make enlargements from even 35 millimeter negatives up to eight by ten tin types without seeing grain, which is kind of what I was going for. I wanted it to be, I didn't want it to look like I was printing from film, particularly. I wanted to make it look like I was just printing tin types. I started shooting with this RPX both in 120 and, and 35 and got great results because you don't have the color biases that color slide film normally has. Warm colors on tintype tend to look dark, like yellow, uh, yellow, red, and orange all are almost black. And like if you see those pictures of the firemen, they're standing in front of a yellow fire truck and it looks like a black fire truck. Cool colors tend to look light, like blue. It's a blue sensitive process like orthochromatic film. So, yes. so people with blue eyes tend to look really freaky because their eyes are really bright. And you can't get clouds in the sky. So that was one of my one of my goals was to try to try to start making tintypes that people were kind of scratch their head at and look at it and go, how did that happen? You know, how did you get that? Because um, I shot this in, in North Carolina. There's a place called Pilot Mountain. If you remember watching the old Andy Griffith show, it was Mount Pilot, you know, uh, <laughs> Pilot Mountain. It's a, it's a real landmark because it's got this big knob up on the top of it. I wanted to go hiking there, but obviously you can't take the whole rig with you. It turns out there's actually a parking lot. <laughs> like, you can drive up to the top, and it's a five-minute walk to this amazing view. But I, t I took took my medium-format camera up there and shot some um, shot with, with the black-and-white film with a either an orange or a red filter, I can't remember. And I got beautiful contrast in the sky between, a, like, a darkened sky and the clouds. 
and made made a tintype of that, and it looks neat. It's really amazing because you just don't you don't expect to see clouds. You don't expect to see motion on a plate. Recently, I went to Wilmington, North Carolina, and shot a sailing regatta from a boat. You know, bobbing up and down. And, and I'm sure every tintype person who shoots tintypes would love to have autofocus and image stabilization when they're taking <laughs> pictures, which, which right, um, right. I had to shoot that on color 35 because I, I didn't think the 25 would give me enough speed on a bobbing boat right. with everybody moving. That and DR5 is kind of out of commission right now while they move, so I'm, I'm hoping they get back right going because i have a small stockpile of film just waiting to send them so folks listening dr5 we did an entire show it'll be in the show notes giving you a link to that show if you'd like to listen to it is a, a process a unique process that takes a black and white negative film like a t-max 100 mm-hmm. and it's processing gives you a black and white positive mm-hmm. correct so in order to do a tintype in the dark room you're using mm-hmm. an enlarger yes and you need a positive correct and why do you need a positive because a tintype, uh, when you when you make a tintype, what you're basically seeing is an underexposed negative. If you've ever held really thin film up to a black background, it kind of yes. turns positive. That was the way they could shorten exposure times. It was a really nice invention, you know, because exposure times before that were so long for daguerreotypes and things like that. You have to have a positive image. Like if you were shooting just in a camera, it's a positive image coming into the camera through the lens, and it hits the, the chemicals and it, you get a positive on that black background. If you try to make a negative with a black background, it just looks negative. Right, you know, right. Because it's a positive process. You can take negative film and print it onto a white background. Like the aluminum that I get has a white background and uh, a black background on the other side. If you print onto white, then you can get something called an opalotype, like opal opalotype. And that gives you a positive image from a negative but it's 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 kind of it's a very low contrast image, and, and on a tin type you can't get absolute white because it has a black background. On a polytype you can't get black, so it's usually just whites and browns, and it it would work for certain subject matter. You know, I've done some still life with shells and things. You know, it looks kind of neat. What I do like doing is I end up scanning those plates and then adding contrast back in Photoshop, and then you can wow. make really nice prints from it. So you're you're using the DR5 process, which is unique. Yeah. Uh, you were thinking about trying a black and white positive film, like uh, I believe in the FPP online store we have like a Shmina positive, yes. super positive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a high contrast, so you don't mm-hmm. know if it's going to work. Right. Yeah. The more what I end up doing when I make those Sintai prints is I keep, I, I have usually clothing that's about a week old to clothing that's about a month, month to a month and a half old, and I use that as contrast filters. Right. And uh, you know I kind of gauge. I'll, I'll make a print, and then if it seems like it's too contrasty, then I'll use a newer collodion. And then the other way you can do it is you can overexpose and underdevelop. It. The development's all done by inspection, so you can you can push and pull the tintype a little bit to reduce contrast or add contrast. Uh, quick question: When you're doing this process uh, in the dark room, are you able to work in a, a junior light bulb or red bulb? Yes, it's all done under red light. Oh, that's fat. That's Perfect. It makes it easier. Makes it life a yep. little easier. In fact, for my tent, I use a, a red LED headlamp. Oh. So I use that most of the time. I'd like to see some pictures of you wearing that stuff. I, I really <laughs> look pretty bizarre. Dr. Demento. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like I said, the, when people, the, the, the firemen were all looking at each other like, yep, we're going to get some calls. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So black and white positive film, yeah. DR5. So you have said. Oh, well, I'm going to experiment and shoot color slide film. Right. That's a color positive. It's the next best thing. And you can make black and white tintypes from that. Correct. Are you getting different uh, a different experience based upon what type of film stock you're using? 
Yes. I mean, the, I've mostly stuck to um, Provia because it seems to be the most natural color rend- rendering you get from things. Um, I've tried Velvia. Velvia's contrast is so strong, though, it's very hard to get a, a, a plate that's not very strong in one direction right. or the other. What's good for color isn't always good for black and white. And that's basically, when you make a tintype, it's basically a black and white image. The speed of the film will affect how large you can enlarge it if, if you don't want to see grain. Right. You know, the Provia seems to work well. For me, enlargement is handicapped by the speed of the print. And what I mean by that is if you're making a tintype and under an enlargement, under enlarger, it's not, you know, a five-second exposure. It's anywhere between 45 seconds to five minutes or six minutes. The plate starts to dry out, and as the plate dries out, it makes it harder and harder to get a good image. If it turns totally dry, then it's no longer light sensitive. And, and so that doesn't work. So I've been wanting to make, I, I, a couple months ago, I picked up a zone six cold head eight by 10 enlarger. One of my dreams is to get some, shoot some black and white chrome. I'm sorry, uh, either black and white or, or color eight by 10 chrome and make a 16 by 20 print from it because the cold head, because it's a fluorescent light source has a lot of UV light and actually speeds up the plate developing very, I mean, it, it makes it a lot faster probably cuts it by a third even because I, I thought I, there's no way I could make a bigger plate than 8 by 10 or maybe 11 by 14 just because of the time constraints but the 8 by 10 enlarger I made I put a little small plate I blew, blew an image up to 16 by 20 and put a little plate in there and it looks fine and it developed in like 45 seconds or a minute or something right. so so I could easily do that but the problem right now is silver nitrate's an expensive thing to buy right now is that right <laughs> for a tank that could hold a 16 by 20 plate it's about five liters Okay. which is probably roughly $800 mm. worth of silver nitrate. Yeah, and then you got to buy the tanks on top of that. Why is it so expensive? Silver is... It's metal. Precious yeah, it's metal. precious metal. is expensive these days. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the chemistry you're using is poured on the plate, so it's in the. It's not like you have any extra excess to pour back. Right. No, it's it's a pretty um, efficient process. I mean, I'm using about a shot glass's worth of developer every time for an 8x10 plate. So the, the developer, you know, it lasts a long time. And but then the silver silver bath, I'm still using the same silver bath that I started in 2012. You just replenish it by adding more silver nitrate, like a more concentrated right. solution to it, or you can sun it, which is means you put it in a you know an open mouth beaker yeah. or something, and you leave it out in the sun for a while and let the the water that's in it dehydrate, right. and then it makes the concentration. Should FPPers from all over the world be sending you th- their exhaustive chemistry so you could start <laughs> taking the. <laughs> Pour it through a strainer and like start collecting your own. No, silver. I don't know. I have not reclaimed any silver. I'm guilty of of getting rid of fixer that's you know full of silver. Oh, oh, oh! Is it difficult to reclaim? Does anyone know here? You have to have a lot, like oh, a, yeah. lot, a lot, a lot, a yeah. lot, mm-hmm. yeah. like, to make it worth the effort. Most yeah. of the major universities that had yeah. those kind of reclamation units, the only ones I can think of now are really close to Ilford in the UK. Yeah, yeah. Have I left anything out about the process of the, what you've been working on now? Um, good question. I would say if someone was going to do this in their darkroom, you need to make sure you have plenty of ventilation. Oh. When you pour, pouring ether inside is not a great idea unless you have a very good, you know, high velocity exhaust fan like I've got. I had a few conversations with a few people uh, at our recent Ann Arbor uh, photo walk, and we're talking about, oh, where do you, you know, and a lot of folks, including myself at the FPP studio, it's a dark room and there's no ventilation. Mm. I mean, and for once you put your film in the tank and then you can put the lights on, open the door, put a fan on. But if you're working in a situation, what you're doing, mm-hmm. it's a whole different. Oh, yeah. Do not try this at home if you do not have exactly. ventilation. Yeah, because ether, I mean, you can open the bottle for a second and close it and then the whole house will smell like it. 
It's really it, right. the smell. It smell just runs away right. from. It's it's a heavy it's a heavy um, gas. Yeah. So you know if you like, I keep my my collodion in, in a big you know plastic tub from Walmart because it seems to sort of sit in there and doesn't doesn't come out. Right. But it's um, I wouldn't store it. Matter of fact, I think I probably said this the last time I was here is that my wife wouldn't let me start doing this until I had a house that had a garage where I could gotcha. store all these chemicals instead of keeping them in the house. Because I, I, I have a young daughter. And yeah, yeah. Keeping, although she's pretty smart to stay out of this stuff. But I think if you respect the chemicals, everything's fine. Uh, and don't do what uh, FPP guy Mark Dalzell is into the habit of new chemistry with the E6 kit. Oh, he's taking whiffs. No. Don't do <laughs> no, that. No, no, I don't want to do that. Oh, Leslie does that too? Yeah, once in a while. Wow. For a I, fix? Or? Well, no, actually, <laughs> I mixed up the C41 and I didn't mark the bottles. Oh. And my, they're brown, right. so you really couldn't see the color difference, so I just whipped them open, and when I hit that yeah. blix, I knew I had it. So once you so uh, bleach fix. venture into but, uh, wet plate, you don't want to be doing this kind of stuff. No. No, mm. I, th- I think ether is a smell that you will, you will remember for the rest of your life. Oh. <laughs> when you did our... Uh, wet plates at FPP. It was a very hot day, and you all know I don't handle the heat well. There's the ether. Got just a little whiff, you know. It was open. We were outside. And the heat, and I'm inside with Justin having a glass of water sitting down. No, no yeah, kidding. Yeah, that's right. What does it do? It knocks you, okay? you out? Yeah, they use it as anesthesia. Yeah. The old war so movies, just, the guys yes. get the appendectomy on the submarine, they pour ether on a cloth and yes. put it over his face. Uh, yeah, you know. Or cider house rules. There's also the ether scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say, if someone's interested in you know starting to do wet plate, Bostick and Sullivan is kind of my go-to for advising people because they they sell kits where you no can get, where you can get all the chemicals almost pre-mixed. You know, very little you have to do, and they've been great. I mean, really consistent with the stuff I order from them, and um, they made it very easy for me to to get started. I, I wanted to have chemicals that I knew worked, so that I knew if there were mistakes, it was all my right. fault. And what are they called? Uh, it's Bostick and Sullivan. They're out of, is it Santa Fe, New Mexico? Yep, right in Santa Fe. Yeah. Bostick and Sullivan. Bostick and yes. Sullivan. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Dick Sullivan and, uh, and his wife that run it. Oh, so, very yeah. nice. That's great. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about, uh, and this, uh, this is a great universal topic because it's just not limited to, to wet plate. It's the concept of how to get people interested in your work and working locally. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Hey, guys. Hey, what's going on, hey, Mike? Hey. You know, uh, Leslie, uh, you came up with this word, and I think it's true. The FPP is somewhat of a film boutique these days. It is a boutique, otherwise known <laughs> as a boutique in Ohio. <laughs> and it kind of just happened by chance. I started getting very interested in unusual 35-millimeter film, film that's not available in cartridges film that's only available on bulk big reels which there is sort of like a you know there's a buzz on the internet there's a circle on the internet of uh, men and women who roll their own film i have to tell you like me most people don't till now well till (laughs) (laughs) i mean most people don't i did and i was scared of the whole process Mm -hmm. but i've conquered that I've mastered the art of rolling film into cartridges, <laughs> so you can play them in your thirty-five <laughs> millimeter camera. Yeah. Feed your camera. It's yeah, film. you can feed your camera, and that opens up a whole new world because most of the bulk loading is going on in little film communities like APUG.org. People are talking about it, but they're not really offered. No one's really carrying it and offering it on a wider scale. Right. Yeah. So if you do not have the time, you know, 
or interest in rolling your own, the Film Photography Podcast Store, which is filmphotographystore.com and 35mm. If you click on 35mm, you'll see an unusual variety of films that we are hand-rolling, and it's pretty cool. There are some amazing stocks out there for film stock. Stocks that will, like, <sighs> blow your mind, like with <laughs> ISOs of, like, 0. 0.06. That's uh, uh, Kodak Rapid Copy Film. 0.06. Insane. Something like the Fuji It, which is IT-N. It's another copy film. It's C41. I believe it has an ISO of 20. I think it's unique that you can get black and white film that's green. Oh, the black and white film that's green. black and white film that's red. Yeah, some some of the films have an unusual U to them. Some are very thin, uh, like the Polypan F. Mm -hmm. It's a a silky smooth, dreamy Mm, black and white film from Germany. Use it and get a glow. Yeah, you get, get your glow on. You do. So if you're shooting a subject or a building and there's a, a good key light, you'll get like a glow. Yeah. Elsie's yeah. all about the glow. I am all about the oh, glow. Oh, you are? Oh, I'm original HIE girl. All girl. Oh, right. Oh, right. And as of late, the newest is, of course, uh, exploring the Eastman Kodak motion picture line of films. Mm-hmm. Like the Eastman Double X. Yeah. Which is in our shop as FPP XX. Extra bold. And this is an awesome film because it's rich and it's bold. Large tonal range. Large tonal range. Yeah. Tonal range. Mm-hmm. It's nice uh, and silvery. Yeah. 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 Processing is uh, standard. It is. Hey! hey! Look at John. Look at John. Yeah, we're talking about the FPP online store, Film Bodecue. Huh? So back to that double X. I got you some, uh, the double X. Some somebody orders double X. Do you include that little yes, processing guide? Hey, hey, hey! Now, go. hey, settle. Oh, whoa. <laughs> que- We're on the air. <laughs> Who's the question? <laughs> Who's the question? Do you see the big red sign on air? <laughs> I got you. The question bagel. was when you ordered double X. Hey. Hey. Does it come with that nice little processing uh, start sheet? That's excellent. Excellent. Yeah. We send a start sheet out with a double X. It has information from um, uh, the... Raypack. Uh, Nick Raypack. Nick Raypack was mm-hmm. kind enough to send over some information. And what's uh, that website? Is it doublex.com? That fans? <laughs> I don't know. You should just double type X. that right in. Yeah, just type <laughs> that right in and see what happens. Oh. My oh. <laughs> <laughs> browser are raised in here. Type in Eastman... <laughs> Double X. What is the fan site that comes up? Hey, John. Hi. What are we talking about? Uh, FPP store. Oh. The fan group double on X, Flickr? FPP? No, it's like a site. It's own site. Oh, Project Double X dot org. Oh, Project Double X. Project hyphen double hyphen X dot org. If you, double hyphen. If you Google yeah. Eastman Double X 5222, oh. you will get the site. This is a very, it's, it's a very elaborate Yes. The Google. It's a very well His- thought history out. History about developing data formulas, examples, resources, suppliers. Oh, wait. Are we on the suppliers list now? I don't know if we're on the suppliers list yet. Son of a shit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're on the air. Getting a little saucy. This <laughs> is one of the exciting films in the uh, hand-rolled FPP film, Bodicue. What are you saying, Bodicue? What does that mean? Boutique. Oh. Boutique. That's what uh, track used to call a record store. Like, let's go down to because it was so called like record boutique. He's like, let's oh, go really? down to the boat queue. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like tracking yeah. all the way. But uh, folks out there <coughs> listening, we ship internationally. I would love to ship you some some fresh, unusual film uh, for you to try in your thirty five millimeter camera. Mm-hmm. We're here to support you and help you out. So if you have any questions about it, we're going to do our best. I'm stumbling through it myself to process, you know, process the black and white. Mm. And uh, the color, we could send right over to our good friends at thedarkroom.com. Thanks, and filmphotographystore.com. 
Hey, we're back. Hey, before we talk about uh, your, you know, your work, folks listening, Joseph's work, and how to get people interested in your work, uh, Mark O'Brien had something to add about, you know, if you wanted to tiptoe into this whole plate business, uh, you could do it with the Holga. How, how would? What is your recommendation, Mark? Well, if, if you don't really want to go whole hog into this thing because it is an expensive endeavor and also you really want to not spend a lot of money in the process until you have figured out where you want to go from freestyle they have a tintype parlor kit which apparently um people have used to make little tintypes on their the process ends up being a dry tintype plate not a wet tintype plate but apparently kodak even made these this kind of process available a long time ago for street photographers and so forth um and you can order from freestyle and allows you to experiment with this and say hey maybe it's something i want to delve into some more without having to go you know whole full hog into buying all the things that you need to make it work what's it called exactly it's called a tintype parlor kit and uh, there's a they on their website they've got a, a little article about it says ten types of Holga cameras and so I suggest people go to the Freestyle site and check it out. It awesome. actually is made by Rockland Chemistry and they offer other sizes or they used to they used to offer it in a, a four by five kit. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, yeah, so it's yeah. by Rockland's. If if probably Freestyle offers it not necessarily as the combination with the Holga but also separately. But if they don't and you want four by five, go to the Google. Right, yes. and go to Rockland. And so, is this a different process than what it, it is? is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And if you're talking about you know kind of dipping your toe in, uh, buying all of the things for the tintype process is kind of expensive. And I would highly recommend someone take a workshop first. Yes, yes definitely. Because there, and there's probably more people shooting tintypes now than when it was even the only form of photography. And and there's so many people giving workshops. I would just highly recommend doing that first because you get this. You get to do the process without with someone else's gear, and you have someone there overseeing, telling you what you're doing wrong. Because it can be very frustrating at first, mm. not knowing exactly what you're doing wrong. Because it's really caveman photography. I mean, you can do so many things wrong. Having somebody there who knows exactly what you're doing, it would it would it would only in, you know make your initial experience that more enjoyable. Because I've seen people who kind of start and just like get terrible results and then quit. Right. And then they bought all that stuff. Right. And then they're trying to sit pawn it off on somebody else. And, right. Any any alt process that's really not in the mainstream of typical photography, I recommend going for a workshop if, if mm-hmm. possible. Whether it's cyanotypes, any of that. Some of it can be very simple to do, but there's little gotchas in these processes that people may not have encountered because they've never done this stuff manually, and they need someone to say, you know, this is the best way to do this for consistent results. Pretty cool. And if one person should Google. Uh, tin type or wet plate workshop would stuff show up yeah i would think so i mean it seems to be all over the country i mean i took my classes in new york city but um there the more i the more i look the more i find i mean there, there's so many people around the united states doing it now can can people call you joby <laughs> yeah and say hey Sure. I want to, you know... Would you go to them or do they come to you? Uh, I, well, I'd hope they come to me. Okay. <laughs> because it's it's much easier to learn indoors. Oh. You know, I, I have to say an indoor experience is much different from an outdoor experience. And I learned that kind of the hard way. Right. Because you, you're in your inside, you have com- controlled humidity and temperature. There's no wind. Right. You know, there's there's all these other things. When you start making tint upside side, you go, oh, there's a whole other component to it. Because, you know, you start pouring clothing on a plate and the wind blows and it just freezes to the plate and you have to start oh. over. And, and then, like I said, the temperature and humidity affect the chemicals, the, the rate in which they 
work, you know, developer works more actively, the hotter it is. Um, Clodium boils at 95 degrees. This has been a really hot summer, so I just didn't do I didn't do much outside work at all. I, that's why I was kind of got into this film stuff. It's like this, the winter when you don't want to go outside. I didn't want to go outside with my tin top gear because I didn't want to have to keep dealing with right. really hot chemicals. So I did the next best thing, and we'll go out and shoot film first, and then make tin types in my dark room. If folks want to get in touch with you, how do you have a website? Where do people reach uh, you? Yes, uh, it's just my name, josephbrunges dot com, or you can contact me through Flickr. And my Flickr name is Joseph Brunges, so it's very, very easy to find me. That's Joseph, as in Joseph, right? And Brunges, B R U N J E S, J E S, yep. And you could get in touch with uh, Joseph. Uh, of course, you could, and of course, feedback to this show. If you want to, you know, drop us a line, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Always love to hear from you. What show? Uh, now we're going to talk about local interest in your work, and I find this fascinating because it really is uh, within everyone's uh, grip to kind of uh, just get involved with the community. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess uh, you first notified me that you were working with a fire depo- department. What was that fire department called? Um, that was the Haddam Haddam um, Volunteer Fire Company in uh, Haddam, Connecticut. And what I wanted to do is, one of the people that got me really interested in the tintype process was a guy named um, Rob Kendrick. And Rob Kendrick shot tintypes for National Geographic of cowboys. Yeah. And I was fascinated by the cowboys because, you know, the uniform of the cowboy hadn't really changed in the past hundred years. So these portraits he shot were just amazing in how it just took them out of time. And I was, I, I've gotten really interested in shooting portraits since I started shooting large format photography because I love the process. I love right. the interaction of the person with the... You know, it's not just click, click, click. It's it's, it's all the setup. And um, I started thinking about, well, what's another group of individuals where that have a uniform that, that are kind of maybe underappreciated or, un, you know, not photographed as much? And, that, and I started doing some research. And, and I've always been kind of interested in firemen, you know, as a kid. People, right. People, people are amazed by firemen. So I started approaching some of the – I approached my local town firemen first, and they, they were – they were a bunch of older guys. They were kind of reluctant, you know, but, but I got, a, got them to pose, a couple of people to pose. And then I conduct, uh, talked to these guys and had them, and the Haddam was a pretty young company. And they're like, hey, let's do it. I showed up one day, and that was the other time my tent pole broke. <laughs> you know, and, but, but it, it also worked. But the day I went, it was very cloudy, and it was start, you know, getting close to raining. It was kind of similar to weather to what we had uh, recently. And the exposure times, I think, got up to about... 15 seconds for some okay. for one of the portraits oh that's a long time stand still standing still yes i had a head brace behind somebody and had them sitting and trying mm-hmm. you know so you see like their butt their head is perfectly in focus but their body has some motion to it they're incredibly patient with me and um do you work by yourself yes no assistant no i'd love to have a assistant, but no so not only do you have to deal with the the the, the regular large format Workflow. Workflow, right. which is, you know, not just snap. You have to, you know, focus to, to, to the plate. On top of that, you're dealing with a wet plate. Right. And on top of that, you're dealing with subject matter, people mm-hmm. that are not professionals. Correct. Who, and most people are these days, are very impatient. Yeah. So you had to really, you had to do the wrangling on top of. Right. And, of course, although you probably show them examples and they are getting instant satisfaction. I'm guessing once you got the first one done. Oh, yeah. It's much easier to get people to do it. And did that have to hang out the whole day? I tried to organize it in groups of a few people at a time. I've gotten it down to where I can shoot a, you know, go through 10 times between 15 and 20 minutes of the shot, something like that, which is pretty quick. And uh, 
what people say is when they see me doing it is they look like I'm always in a constant fury because I'm I'm doing all this stuff and doing you know running all around even though it's a really slow process I'm busy the whole time right because like I said the silver likes to eat stuff so I'm I'm constantly as soon as I'm done shooting while the people are looking at the plate you know change from negative to positive I'm starting to clean the plate holder off clean off the helper tray get it all ready to go for the next shots because you know they're waiting and 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 patience is an issue you know i have a nine-year-old daughter and she makes me she lets me take one picture you know usually <laughs> before she goes okay that's it bye so i get one shot at shooting her but what i like about the the portraits is because is that the subject always feels like they're a major part of the of the performance of the play because of what they have to do to remain still and the fact that they're investing this time and i get to know the person you know you get to know it's as a portrait photographer, it's nice to know more about your subject because it helps you figure out what's going to what's going to be the best portrait for them. What's what, you know that sort of thing. So I, I've loved the slow the slow right. part of the part of the process, but it is it is very busy. Like I said, to, to, to when you're photographing multiple people or you're trying to shoot a bunch of shots in one day, you know you just can't you you just can't shoot more than I, I just went uh, I shot an art fair in in September. And I think I made eight plates in a day, in a four and a half hour period or four hour period. And I always felt wiped out after that. Right. And it was just bang, bang, bang. These are little four by five ones, so they're easier to go through. But, you know, after one person saw it, oh, I want to do it. Oh, hey, I want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me go get my kid. Come back. You know, and what I was doing for that is I would shoot. Anytime I saw someone exotic walk by, um, like there was a woman that had crazy bright blue eyes and I knew they looked, she'd look possessed on a tintype. So I took her, took her picture. And then there was a, a, a young girl in a cheerleading outfit who was wearing, who had killer freckles. And I thought, well, freckles look great on tintype. I oh, want to yeah. show that off because, um, it, freckles are generally red and they look darker. So mm-hmm. they really are pronounced things like that. And that usually brings people in to see the process. It's when you demonstrate, you're basically teaching the process and people have no idea, you know, what what it's about and they're just fascinated especially that that changing from negative like to magic. positive yeah it is like magic really it's magic people are like how are you doing this <laughs> and there's no electricity involved you know that's that's the other thing it's like, and, and you know i'm starting to do this and they go and i usually have there a couple hecklers you know go you know digital cameras have been around for blah 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 you know and i said so i go well watch this and i put the negative you know into the picture and it turns positive and i go digital can't do that right <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah and and it always, I mean, it always brings a smile to people's faces, and I always like to watch it. I mean, it just never gets old. Yeah. I mean, it's just part of that. It's that expectation. And it, it is kind of nice, you know, when you shoot film, you have to wait. And I actually, you know, I like waiting because you, you, you put some time between when you took a picture and when you get to work on it. Mm-hmm. But getting that instant satisfaction and being able to share that with someone right at the spot, uh, it's, it's quite a treat. In working with the Haddam Fire Department, uh, it was an event. Uh, there was a write-up. Right. And this yes. ties into uh, your tips to people for getting involved with the community because you made an event out of this. I did, yeah. And they did an article. Then you emailed me. Right. We uh, poured the article over to the FPP. Mm-hmm. And it just get you know, you're spending the time doing this process and you're connecting with people. But at the same time, you want to get your work known. You want other people to know that your services are available mm-hmm. and that you can, as you said, you went to a fair. Right. So for folks who, regardless of what they're shooting, who, who want to get their work known, what is your advice for, for working local? Well, I, th- I think um, too many people rely on the Internet to be their main source of getting their work out there. And the, as we all know, the Internet can be dangerous. You know, people still work all the time. And they forget that, um, there's so many different venues in which you can show your work locally. 
and most of the local arts councils and organizations are very eager to meet you, especially because, uh, especially if you're shooting film or, or doing, doing an alternate process or something, it looks different. You know, like I, I met with the arts council in this county where I just moved in North Carolina, and I said I was a photographer, and they all kind of look at me, and I go, but this is what I do. You know, and they're expecting me to just be another digital photographer, blah, blah, blah. And then when I, sh- I, demonst- I, went, when I went, I demonstrated the process for them just right there. Oh. And, of course, I instantly got a show out of it. It's that kind of interaction with the locals that I think you can build upon that to a more national level rather than just, like, sending stuff everywhere on the Internet. It just – there's so many people that aren't going to be there to help you. But, but local people, uh, if you can get them interested in your work, then it's just going to uh, – through through one – through that demonstration that I did for that arts council – I got invited to an art walk in another town. And then from there, two people from two other towns invited me to go to their things. So I've been invited to about eight things now in the course of just a couple months. And I only see that expanding, right. you know, my, my clientele, expanding just my influence over. I'm guessing it's not about the money. If you're, no. if, if you're a photographer and your, your main, in the back of your mind, the main thing is to make money. This is not what it's about. Like, like right. things will develop over time. I'm guessing some some gigs you go to, you're footing the bill, and other gigs they'll pay for your expenses or they'll hire you. Most of it, it's most of what I've done lately has been sales from work that I've shot at the event, right? Or from getting getting to do something like a show after the fact. I, I shot a show. I went to a, a farm festival in Mount Airy, North Carolina. <clears throat> excuse me, and they let me just walk around and take pictures and payment for that. They gave me a space to have a show. And that's a great way to do it is to come find an organization that, you know, I'll go and shoot your event. And then if you have an art space where I can, you know, show my stuff for a while, then it's a great, it's like the barter system. Right. You know, and yes, making money off photography is very challenging right now. The, the value of an image is, is, but that's all the more reason I think that film photography and, and for me, the all, all processes are more, valuable because they're handmade you know and people can't feel like they can make them themselves you know a lot of people who have their digital cameras they're almost as good as what the pro is using or the exact same camera and they think oh, i can make the same image that that person does um when you when you print you know darkroom prints or you make tin types or do cyanotypes or any of these other things people don't know how the process even works and so it gives it assigns some more value to the image and, and it's an object as much as it is an image. For me, like I said, about, I like the Tintox because it just takes things out of time. You know, and shooting new things are really disturbing to people because you know, they see this old process. Oh, there's an old barn. Oh, there's an old tractor. Wait, here's a guy in a 2000, standing on a 2014 Camaro. You know, and right. you, that's, it's, I think images these days have to have something that causes people to look at it for more than two seconds. If, mm-hmm. um, the, the, we're bombarded with images every day. And you don't realize it, but you're really only looking at an image for a second or two. If you can make someone look at something for longer than two seconds, then I think you're on, on to something. I think that's fascinating because, uh, uh, as you folks here know, I'm a big fan of Instagram. And for Instagram, it's a square image. And on mm-hmm. my phone, you're actually with your – you're just basically mm, – mm. right. you're thumbing through and the image is going by. And then if I see something that catches my – I stop, mm-hmm. pull it back. What is this? What is it about that image that makes you stop to look at it? Mm-hmm. And that's a special thing. Mm-hmm. So out of the bombardment of images, 
It's only a, something that will be, hey, whoa, what's that? And with wet plate, I'm guessing, first of all, just the look of it, mm-hmm. someone's like, well, what is this? It's a whole different look. Right. But, it, but there's so many people shooting it now that, oh, it's, is that right? it's becoming less, less you know, eye-catching. Right. I just kind of looked around and didn't see many people doing you know, the printing that I'm doing now and, and the subject matter. At. So I just, you know, I'm just trying to expand. Take it the next step. Go yeah. on the yeah. boat. Yeah, go, just you have to have something to say when you take pictures, and it can't just be a copycat of what you see online. You know, like with I see a lot of the. I'm not not going to be a digital basher too much because I do have a digital camera, but like uh, when you let's take wedding photography from it, someone sure. will come up with a good plugin for Photoshop, and then everybody will try to copy it to where it becomes so you know mainstream that it's not novel anymore. Cliche. Yeah, that's the word. And folks who uh, are getting married. They want their they want a, a, a standout something special sure. for their wedding. Is there a market, or is there a certain amount of wet plate shooters who are doing a wedding portrait? There, there mm-hmm. are people that now that that dress up in old clothes, oh. you know, and get their portrait done. They don't generally do it on the day of their wedding; right. they do it beforehand. Yeah, I've only had a couple. I have not actually done it yet, but I've had a couple people ask me about it. So I think next spring I'll probably have some business doing that. Um, it's it's a fascinating idea, you know. I've I almost thought of approaching you know wedding local wedding photographers and say, hey, if you promote me, I'll I can offer this through your business or something by it's doing special. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. it's a one of a kind image. Or like I said, um, I scan my plates on my Epson V seven hundred and make really nice enlargements. I can enlarge up to twenty four by thirty from an eight by ten plate, and that's that's a big image and it's beautiful. I mean, from an eight by ten plate has so much information mm-hmm. on it. Even if I made the plate from a 645 negative, it still looks good, blown up to at least 16 by 20. Most people don't want anything any bigger than 16 by 20 in their house anyway. So that's your advice for folks to, to just, I mean, it's, a, it's so, it's so um, it's universal even, yeah. in the sense that you, anyone, no one should expect that the, anything's going to happen immediately. You have to work at it. Like anything yeah. else, you have to really be dedicated to it. You're, you're keying in on a specific type of photography, and you're sticking with it. There's no short term, uh, there's no short term or sh- uh, immediate fix right. or gratification of starting your business or mm-hmm. there are no quick fixes, so to speak. I think if you take pictures that you think people will buy rather than pictures that you want to take, you're going down a very dark road. Right. It's 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 much more difficult. I mean, I think if you if you shoot stuff that you love, then there will be people who appreciate it. If you just try to copy everyone else or if you're just shooting things, well, if I shoot this, this people might buy this. You, know, you just have to kind of go for what you think, right? what you feel you want to express. I mean, I, I was never a very good artist with my hands, so I wanted to do so, you know, I wanted to be, and photography for me has been that outlet. Right. I, I'm a musician, so I do everything orally. And so being able to do visual things um, has been a real treat. It's been a nice Side side right. thing, and now it's becoming more you know, more of my business. The idea that I, I, there's a quote I'm trying to remember who it is that said it. The the you try to just shoot what you love, and you hope other people think it's art. Right. <laughs> you know, you hope other people will decide that what you've done is art. And uh, that's not a, that's a very bad paraphrase, but yeah, <laughs> that's that's what we all go for. You know, is to try to have yeah. something that that other people will enjoy. I mean, I, when I first started shooting tintypes, I had to, this is the other reason I like the tintype printing is that I had to get used to the fact that if I sell a tintype, it's out of my portfolio. Oh, it's, it's gone. gone. Yeah, it's right. gone. Like I gave you three, your tintypes mm-hmm. and I just knew that, well, 
there it goes. You know, um, I was perfectly fine with that because it, in a way I know other people will have my work displayed right. somewhere, you know, so you think about it that way that it's being displayed. But if I, sh- if I shoot on film for a second, I actually make multiple copies of the same tintype. In general, most people, for me, do not buy original tintypes. They buy prints from the tintypes. Okay. They're a lot less expensive. They're brighter. You know, a tintype is a pretty murky-looking thing. You have to shine a lot of light into it. Most people don't have dedicated lighting in their house to their art. So prints are a much easier thing to display, and, and you can make enlargements that are you know, bigger than any tintype that I would want to try to make. Right. For folks listening, uh, I, I, we didn't uh, mention or talk about the fact that Joseph is a conductor. And into music, and you also yeah. play in a musical instrument? Yeah, violin. Uh, but you could tune in, and it'll be on our show notes, to the first time you were on our show, to hear, like, you know, the first time we met you. Yes. And that's at filmphotographyproject.com. Yo! Just go to the show notes, written by our good friend Alex Laux, uh, and you could uh, tune back into that first episode where you appeared on the FPP. Let me open it up to the floor, uh, Mark, Leslie, Matt. Is there anything we missed or any questions you have uh, for Joseph while he's still in our presence? I, I know a bunch of wet platers, right, so right. like I, I just this, this is great. It, it reaffirms a lot of things I've, I've heard before. Um, I, I actually can only name, uh, I can count on one hand how many people, you know, talking about making, making a go at it, like really just making your living doing the kind of art photography alternative process. I can only count on one hand people I know that are making a living, like actually selling, uh, wet plate stuff. Right. And one of them, I'm fortunate enough to live in the same, the same area he is. And it is, it's, it's really rough. I mean, the one gentleman I'm talking about in particular, his name is uh, Giles Clement. Mm-hmm. He goes around the U S he's been doing this for three years. Uh, he actually sets up uh, a wet plate studio at little concert halls, music venues, and kids will come in and fifty, hundred bucks a plate, and he'll like light it and just like do portraits, and then he'll get him and his him and his dog. They'll jump in a van and they'll just go to the next town <laughs> and do the same thing. Yeah, he's, oh, on, he's, he's on he's on Flickr. He has some amazing work on. Yeah, Flickr. he's uh he's now he's doing music festivals, but he's been he's been grinding away at this f- shooting plates for four years, but on the road for three years, and now he's only to the point where not only to the point he's amazing, but he's to the point where like. Now he needs to get management, you know, right. other people in on it, booking venues, like actually making a go of it. But now he's already like sick of the, you know, the wet plate process too. Oh, he's that... you know, he wants to move to film. He wants to do the next creative thing. Be careful what you wish for. Exactly. <laughs> right. So, so what is his gent's name? Uh, Giles Clement. He's he's a great dude. How so. old is he? He's uh just just over thirty. Okay, wow. I didn't know if this was. You know, I'm right. 50 now. I can retire, and this is what I'm going to no, do. Type uh, of thing, I, he was like, if I was any older, okay. I would be dead already. Like that's that's how he he <laughs> describes how hard it is to to make a go of it. So okay. uh, not for the faint of heart. It's definitely mm-hmm. something you really have to love. And it's a lot of work. I mean, the, and this guy is he's probably the, the most consistent single pour I can see out of somebody. Like his plates look like look like they're fake because they're like so clean factory plates. yeah like his plates look like the old plates you'll find from a hundred years ago where it's just like clean pour every time he, he can varnish in his sleep you know his dog probably knows more about wet plate than we do his dog's name is zeiss by the way and joseph is that something i mean do you enjoy your 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 music uh profession or do you actually wish you could just be a photographer oh uh, well no i kind of like the balance of being able to do okay. both it's i i'm not I have no. Uh, I'm, I won't be surprised if I don't make a living being, you know, a photographer. But I'm I'm fine with that as right. long as I'm, as long as I have you know money coming in from somewhere right. <laughs> that I can support this. Um, uh, I wouldn't call it a hobby anymore. It's more of kind of a obsession that I'm that I'm fine with it. Yeah, the process it's it is challenging to to go and uh, like I've just this season I've just done 
you know, a few art fairs and things like that where you go and you just demonstrate all day and do that sort of thing. It, it is grueling work, um, but it's fun. Uh, like I said, uh, part of what my enjoyment of it is, is demonstrating the process as an educational tool to see where how far we've come in photography from from you know from tintypes to to digital photography. And what's funny about tintypes is uh, you know we talk about how dangerous the chemicals are, but it's so much better than daguerreotypes where. You know, it's so much safer, so much easier, so much mm-hmm. cheaper. You know, daguerreotypes, boiling mercury, and polishing on po- printing on polished silver, and all, all these things. It was it was incredibly. Is cool. anyone still doing that? Oh yes. yeah, yes. is that there right? Are, yeah. Since there's so many people that have been now, we're about I would say five years into this, maybe probably more, but five years really into this acceleration of photographers coming into wet plate that. Uh, some of them are I- evolving, and by evolving, they're devolving into uh, daguerreotype work. There's a uh, there's a gentleman out in California, mm-hmm. uh, Dan Carrillo. He yep. uh, he's gotten he went completely backwards into uh, into dags. Uh, and there's a uh, quite a few people that that they they'll dip their toe into it because they're like, okay, I, now I need to do something different. I've got I've gotten wet plate under my sleeve. I want something that stands out a little bit more. Right. So it's right. it's like niche within a niche within a niche. Wow. Right, and I don't just shoot ten types. You know, I shoot film, and uh, I, I I let the subject matter kind of tell me what needs to be right. photographed, and that that's a great rule of thumb. You can't kind of bend a subject into your your format. You have to kind of decide what what you need to use in order to take. Like, I've shot sailing, and I wanted to, wanted it to be on ten types, so I thought, okay, I need to use thirty five millimeter because I need image stabilized lenses, and you, you kind of have to make. Make what your gear fit into that, and um, uh, for all of you who have tons of gear and you and your wives are complaining about it, you need to find that Ansel Adams video on YouTube where he loads his car. Oh, that's great! And, <laughs> and he has yeah. every format from like what from thirty five up to seven by seventeen or mm-hmm. something, and he loads it all in his car at once before the, he goes the out. Checklist, yeah, yes. That is- and there's and there's lenses, you know, five lenses for everything, and all the filters and everything. And I, I just had to show my wife that video to, <laughs> to show her how I really didn't have that much gear. Right. It sounds like an FPP walk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For some people. <laughs> well, cool. Uh, anything we skipped or, or you need? No. We covered um, it. I think we covered it. I have another show in Danbury, Connecticut in March. Okay. No, sorry, not Danbury, Connecticut. Danbury, North Carolina in March. But I'll send you some information about that as we get closer to it. So Joseph Brunge's next show. What show? Yes. Next show, <laughs> next uh, exhibit of your work is in. Uh, I'm dying to say that is in March 2016. Uh, yes. In North Carolina. Yes. Where in North Carolina? It's called the Apple Gallery in Danbury, North Carolina. And when we get closer to that date, we'll certainly on the FPP mm-hmm. on the show, we'll uh, this show will uh, we'll, t- we'll talk about it, and uh, we'll have some stuff on our website. Uh, our website, of course, is uh, filmphotographyproject.com. Please do visit us, visit our store. You could write to us, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Yo! Uh, it's, been a real, it's been a real great uh, having you here again, yeah, Joseph. Well, thank you so much for taking interest in me. I've, I've really appreciated all the, all the promotion and, and help that you've given me. So. And, you know, reinvigorate my... Make me feel like I'm not the only one out there that likes to shoot film. Yeah. And Joseph uh, hopped in his buggy, by the way. Uh, just to f- folks know, he's a real sport. He came to our recent Ann Arbor photo walk. With entirely too much gear. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and that uh, it's quite a drive, right? It was. It was about a nine-hour drive. Ooh. The traffic was bad, so it took me ten. Trooper. Real but trooper. 
again, I kind of packed the car Ansel Adams style. I had 4x5 down to 35, and then based based on the weather, I just shot mostly 35. Right. Um, but still good, had a good time. Yeah. Well, it was great having you, and uh, I want to thank you for coming down. Well, thank you. And uh, we ran over time here, so any of our other topics, we're going to roll into another show. Great. And uh, we're going to go out with uh, some music. So you don't you don't have any music that no original music no I don't have any here sorry okay well let's default to uh, Darren Ballard <laughs> Riley and then some smooth sailors cool. here at the FPP we'll see you in two weeks.
It's time to resign This warm summer sun Is losing sustain Let the winter bring The captain took a walk To forget Woo! <laughs> 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 <laughs>